Ever have a parenting question that feels so embarrassing you dare not speak it out loud? Well, that's where I come in. I'm Vanessa Quigley, and this is the Mom Force brought to you by Chatbooks. This is your safe space to get those pressing parenting questions answered by experts. And as a mother of seven, I have loads of opinions too. If you like what you hear, feel free to leave us a review because we love reading them. And subscribe and share with your friends. Welcome to the Mom Force. I'm here with my sister Shelly and Erica. Hi. Hi. And we've got something on our mind. And it is heavy. It's heavy. Yeah, it's heavy. And it has increased in intensity these last couple of months, especially under quarantine and the uncertainty of corona. And it is mental health. I feel like every time I talk to one of my mom friends, this is where the conversation goes with either how our mental health is holding up or one of our children or our spouse. Are you guys feeling the same thing? Are you seeing the same thing? Well, it's on everybody's mind because of what we're going through. So yeah, my family's struggled. I'm struggling. I don't know if anyone recalls the mental breakdown I had the other day in the car. I recall. It was documented. Yes, Yes. we saw it on Instagram. It's, It's fresh and raw and it's hard. And I think these times are like taking what we usually have as like a healthy resting angst and a healthy resting stress level, which has been talked about in another one of our mental health interviews, and blowing it out of the water. Yeah, because even someone who didn't have struggles yeah, are finding themselves a little freaked out. And and I will confess, that was me the other day. Like, And I, I operate under a lot of stress on a yeah. daily basis. And I'm pretty good at holding things together, but I had a particularly busy day and I got up extra early to make sure I got everything was getting everything in order and actually had a little bit of a headache. So I will blame that a little bit too, but that's acceptable. At one point, Nate said, you know what? I actually picked up the wrong tile for the bathroom. You're going to have to call the tile guy and get the right tile. And normally I'd have been like, oh, okay, fine. I completely broke down. That was it. Sobbing hysterically. I cracked. And I I recognized it as a bit of a panic attack because as you know, I've got a couple of kids that struggle with anxiety and I know what a panic attack looks like. I I couldn't really relate to what it felt like. But for the first time, I got a glimpse of what that felt like as I sat there in my mudroom, bawling my eyes out, trying to catch over having to get some tile. Do you think you've had those before and just didn't know because now you are more aware of what they are? I've wondered that. Like as I've tried to relate to my kids and other people close to me with their struggles with their mental health. Like remembering back as a young mother. Like I remember getting in that fight with my husband and going into <laughs> yeah. the bathroom and hyperventilating on the toilet. Yes, yes, I remember that. Yes, Maybe that was a panic yeah. attack. At the time, I just thought it was really, really, really sad and frustrated. Yeah. And I think this is what's so interesting about mental health are their degrees, right? Yeah. There's like the mental illness of our childhood. Like what came to your mind when someone talked about mental illness? When we were younger? Yeah. Uh, straight jacket. Right. Someone yeah. in a straight medicine. jacket. Medicine. All, it's all about like medicine, therapy, trauma. Not just like very normal day to day issues that you deal with as oh, it a was person. Extreme, yeah. Yes. Right? So I would think extreme. of like Hannibal Lecter and yes. like weird, same even weird things. Even our beloved family movie that I we know. loved in our family. What about Bob? <laughs> what about Bob? Like, oh kind my. of ahoy! I say, <laughs> I, I love that movie. Paper so boy, much. paper delivery. But it was kind of making fun of yeah. someone who had a real problem, and now I'm so sensitive to that as I've um, dealt more personally with family members and loved ones who legitimately have those struggles. 
But there is this stigma Mm -hmm. around mental health where we don't feel super comfortable talking about it. Like Erica. Yeah. A couple years ago. It was probably about five years ago where I finally went to talk to the doctor. Wait, why did you go talk to the doctor? Because you were feeling... Angry. I was getting mad (laughs) about everything. And I remember thinking like, this isn't normal. Finally realizing that I can go from being totally fine up in my bedroom and walking down my stairs and hearing something or somebody yelled something at someone and I could go from zero to 60 mm-hmm. that fast. I testify. Just a, a, that is true. A, I can also a, a testify. trip down the stairs. And so I went into my gynecologist and was talking to her about that I just get so mad and my reactions to things outside of the moment, I can see that that wasn't a realistic reaction. That was an overreaction, but not knowing how, how to process that. And so we finally realized that it was my way of, for some people, anxiety, they, they cry or they close, they off, to close off and shut down. I, my manifestation of anxiety is anger. I get mad and crazy, crazy rage mad. <laughs> and so I got put on Lexapro and I remember coming home and going to fill a prescription and my husband saying, well, what's that for? And feeling sheepish and guilty and embarrassed to tell him it's 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 for my anxiety like just to say it out loud felt weird and not right and shameful and it took several years and now I I'm to the point where I can broadcast that oh Lex wrote oh yeah 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 it works miracles it works it does its thing but that that was a road yeah yeah that was a road I had to take well, we've come a long way in those years. And yeah. I actually think talking about it is a huge blessing to other people because it's normalizing that this is mental health, like your dental health. You're not yes. going to not go to Coin the dentist. I know, mental health, <laughs> mental dental. Health, Nate dental. actually coined that. Okay, all right. There's no shame in going yeah, to no the dentist for your checkup and getting yeah. a tooth filled and yeah. walking around with your mouth all numb like that because no. mm-hmm. and going to take care of our teeth, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> But with our mental health, there is the stigma. And I think talking about it is the most important thing that we can do. And in fact, Jane Clayson Johnson, I'm going to interview her. Yes. She wrote a book called Silent Souls Weeping, which is such a sad title. She shares her journey dealing with depression and then the stories of hundreds of other people who have suffered anxiety, depression, other forms of mental illness. But the message that came so clear as I read this book was we have to talk about our experiences. We need to open up and share our stories. That helps us heal, but it also allows others around us heal. And I think as mothers especially, this is so important. Well, I can't wait to hear what she says. Yep. I'm excited. All right, guys. Is there any specific question you want me to make sure I ask Jane in our interview? I, I actually would love to know if there's any specific type of language that we can use to help normalize mental health. Yeah. Something we can say to, to make it seem more That's normal. good. Because I know, cause the mental illness, right? Yeah. I mean, that sounds... It feels severe. It really does. And not everyone... It feels what about Bobbish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it feels like maybe um, there's a range of struggling with some sadness versus depression, clinical depression. Yeah, and how can we talk about it that will allow the most people to get the help yeah and it's inclusive it's not like because we because it is mental health is something that does span such a variety of people and circumstances okay 
All right. Good one, guys. Good All right. luck. Well, Jane, welcome to the podcast. This is such a huge honor to have you with us. I feel like we know each other. I know we've crossed paths. We have a lot of common friends. For years, we've crossed paths. And I just have to say, I love your podcast, Vanessa. I think what you're doing here is fantastic. And I think, you know, you're the kind of person I've always felt this way, that you just want to sit up and come to the kitchen table and just chat with. And that's what I love about you. So I just think you're the best. Oh, thank you so much. Well, that means a lot to me. And I am so grateful that you're willing to be here with us. I have to say, you've written two books. I Am a Mother, which is an amazing book that every mother should read. And your second book, Silent Souls Weeping, has had such a profound impact on me and is what I would like to talk about today. But through reading both of those books, I feel like we are sisters. (laughs) I feel like I've gotten to know you. And I really appreciate you being so open and vulnerable and honest about such tender and personal parts of your life. Well, you know what I've learned over these many years of being in a very sort of public career and profession and and life, I've learned that only through vulnerability can true connection come. And so I've tried to use the platform that I have through journalism and through my career on TV and radio to open up conversations that I know people are having, but they may be embarrassed or afraid to have (laughs) in, in the light of day, not crying in their pillow or alone somewhere. So that's really an important part of this book is being authentic and being real and being open about hard things. Well, I think especially in this world of social media, where we're kind of groomed to just put our best face forward, that maybe it's hard for us to be honest and open, but it is such an important part of helping us with our mental health. And in the book, Silent Souls Weeping, you start off in that very first chapter, really laying it all out in the open, your own personal struggle with depression. And I'm wondering if you could just tell us a little bit about that and how you became so passionate in talking about mental health. Um, After I had experienced this very devastating thing that had happened to me, I, I started to realize how many people suffer and struggle with depression. And I realized that if I was going to ask people to connect with me about their experiences, I had to be very open about my own. So my experience with depression was very unexpected. It was harrowing. It was something that I'd never felt before. I didn't know what was happening to me. It was a very physical sort of change. It wasn't just emotional, it was physical. I use words like drowning and choking and sinking and suffocating because, you know, I'd had sadness before, situational sadness, like I call it, but nothing like this. Nothing where I felt like I just couldn't get myself out of it. And the longer it went on, the worse it got. And I felt like I was, you know, in some sort of burlap sack with the top tied. And and the harder I worked to untie that and to get out of the sack, the worse it got. Until I started to think that life would be better without me in it and that my children would be better off with a different mother and my husband deserved so much more than this and me. I didn't have a plan or a mechanism to take my own life, but I fantasized about it and I fantasized about my funeral and who would speak and the flowers and the chapel full of people and 
you know, I was just clinically depressed and I just wanted to fall asleep and fade away. And so I tell that story very openly and honestly in the very first chapter because I want people to know that I get it and that they're not alone. As this was happening to you, did you have a desire to share those feelings or were you keeping that in to protect yourself and everyone around you? Oh, no, I didn't share it at all. In fact, I kept a lot of these feelings to myself, even from my husband, because I was embarrassed. And I thought, what is what is wrong with me? <laughs> I mean, I have this life that I have always wanted. I have two beautiful children and, you know, I things seem to be going really well. So what's the problem? What is wrong with me that I can't appreciate this? You know, why am I depressed when I am so blessed? And so those feelings kept going on. And the more I had them, the guiltier I was for, for feeling these emotions. Yeah. And that's the cycle. That's the dangerous, dark cycle that you get in, that you start to button up and hold it all in and nobody around you knows and you're, it's the secret. And then it gets worse and worse until sometimes, you know, bad things happen. Well, as my husband and I have worked with family members and other people that we love that have really struggled with uh, mental illness, we have learned that the most important thing is to open your mouth and talk and share about those feelings. Right. But shame gets in the way. Right. You said guilt. I mean, you were living the dream life. There's, there's conflict there. Like, I have everything I want. Why am I feeling this way, especially when it comes out of the blue? So what changed for you? What finally led you to, to share your story and to open up about what was going on? I think the reason that I started to open up about what I was going through is because as I started to talk about it, I started to realize how many people were suffering just like me and how many women had similar stories. You know, how many women started looking for someone to take their place in their family? How many women felt like they weren't enough? How many women felt like they could just fall asleep and, and end this, that life would be better, not just for them, but for everyone around them? And so when I started talking about that, I thought to myself, this is a real problem. <laughs> and we're not talking about it. We're not opening up about it. And so that, that began the journey of three years of my life interviewing others who struggle with mental illness and opening up about all this in a very public way. I think there were two themes that really emerged, Vanessa, in the course of my conversations, and the first was stigma. And I think that's directly related to why I didn't talk about it sooner, and I think why many people often don't talk about it as well. It, it was a common theme that ran through every conversation. It's a sense of embarrassment. It's a sense of shame attached not only to the mental health diagnosis, but to the medication I might have to take or the therapy that I might have to do, the therapy that's required for, yep. for treatment. So it's something we have to stop. And that's what I was willing to do to put my own story out there and to sort of put my stake in the ground to say, you know what? It's, this is not a character flaw. This is not something that you can control or overcome if you just try harder. Right, yeah. This is not the result of some sort of personal inadequacy. This is a disease. It's a sickness. It's a mental illness. And there's help and there's treatment, but you have to be willing to step out and ask for it. Yeah, I think a lot of it has to do with the language around it. I, I'm actually on a committee for Silicon Slopes about mental health and we have been producing a series of videos where people are sharing their stories with the goal of destigmatizing this, taking leaders, CEOs, successful entrepreneurs, and having them share 
stories of vulnerability. And I actually interviewed my husband, Nate, who has not been diagnosed with a mental illness, but has been struggling, as many of us have these last couple of months, with the coronavirus and with troubles with our economy and, you know, with all of the things. And one of the things he said in that interview is that he wants us to talk about mental health like we talk about dental health. You know, we're not afraid to go out into public with a cast on our arm, with a broken arm, but there, there is fear and shame around admitting that you're on medication or you're working with the therapist. Yeah. And so I think a lot of it has to do with the language. One of the things you said in your book is you want to refer to it as brain illness versus mental illness. Well, I talk about brain health, actually, rather than mental health, just like we talk about heart health, you know, yes. the heart is a very important organ of the body. And we welcome conversations about heart health. Well, brain health is is critically important, too. So that's one way that I have found actually that's pretty easy to start removing the stigma of, around these conversations is to change as you say, change the language. And I write about how we can do that and the conversations that we can have. And I think more often than not, we just have to dive right into our stories without thinking too much about it. I interviewed more than 150 people for my book over the course of three years. And every person I interviewed for this book said talking, talking about their depression helped. It helped them, yeah. but it also helped those around them to understand that these are real issues. I, I quoted a young man in my book who was a suicide survivor, and he said to me something I will never forget, and it has been widely quoted since, depression thrives in secrecy, but shrinks in empathy. We can have empathy all the day long for those of our brothers and sisters who have cancer or heart disease or have a kidney stone that they're down for a couple weeks because they've had to have you know surgery for or a broken arm the list goes on and on for these physical illnesses but when it comes to the mental condition it's often not that way and so when we change the conversation we change the tone we we change the language and we talk about brain health just like we talk about all those other physical conditions we start to change the dynamic. We, we start to change how we actually see and view this and think about it. And brain health, it, it has an optimism about it. We, we were just talking about this in our mental health committee about mental fitness. If there's something about the word mental illness that feels um, scary and terminal and dire, and as we want to have more of these conversations, I think landing on the right words is really important. So brain health, mental fitness. I think that our cultural and our historical misconceptions about all this have led us to a very judgmental view of it all, right? We, the, the sort of how we've seen it in the media, in movies and the, the dark, crazy person, you know, the Jack Nicholson character that is all in a quote-unquote mental institution that is going quote-unquote crazy. Well, even one of my favorite movies was What About Bob? Yeah. And they kind of make fun of Bill Murray's character as he's struggling with his mental health. And I feel like I can't even like that movie anymore as I've become more sensitive to what people are really experiencing. No, and I remember one woman said to me, I'll never forget this. It's too bad I can't wear a cast on my head. Yeah. Because something is broken in there. And that's, and that's really hard for people to understand, she told me. Mental illness is a reality of mortal life, and there should be no more shame in acknowledging it than acknowledging a battle with high blood pressure, right? Or the sudden appearance of a malignant tumor. Yeah. So it's the same thing, mental health 
and physical health are one in the same. Well, I know that there are a lot of mothers that are struggling with their mental health, postpartum depression or um, anxiety about raising children in this world with so much uncertainty. And sometimes it comes out of the blue like it did for you. So often mental illness runs in families also. So I think whether or not you're struggling personally as a mother, it's so important to learn how to talk about it and become comfortable talking about it so that we can model things for our children and, and create an environment where our children can talk about what they're feeling. And I think sometimes this leads us to this idea that we have to have this veneer of perfectionism, this sort of social media veneer of, I'm good, I'm under control, I've got it all together, my kids are perfectly clean and dressed and happy, and everyone's, we're good, we're good, right? But the problem with that is, it, it's not real. <laughs> Right. And and the truth of it is, is that depression and perfectionism and especially toxic perfectionism can be a dangerous cocktail. And I've lived that and I know what that feels like. And as a recovering perfectionist myself, I plead with women to keep it real and to get off of social media where sometimes the images are just too overwhelming of people who we think are living the perfect life, but in reality, they're really not. So what is your advice to women who might feel caught in that trap? You, you just have a great, a great chapter in your book about perfectionism. There were so many nuggets there. But what can you share with us right now for anyone listening who says, yes, that's that's me. I'm stuck there. Well, at first I would say, I remember there was a time in my life when I had little, little kids and I was very careful not to let anyone into my house unless it was perfectly clean. I not only had two little kids, I had three teenage stepkids and I was just very meticulous. And I thought, wow, you know, if we had people over for dinner, I would have my husband carry piles of our stuff upstairs <laughs> to the bedroom so that the family room yep. kitchen area would appear to be perfectly spotless. And then when the guests left, we'd haul everything back downstairs to live again, right? So it's not a surprise to me that a lot of people, especially women, that I interviewed for this book about depression repeatedly mentioned the appearance of their homes, Vanessa, or their children, huh. or how they looked, yes. or what others thought of them, right? Yep. And, and I think in our culture it can be very easy and tempting to put up this facade of perfection. And I think we're very susceptible to it as women. And so I think we have to tear down the veneer and we have to change the self-talk, that the chronic, awful, destructive narrative that I'm falling short, I'm not good enough, I'm not perfect. And be be real, be open, be honest about who we are yeah. and, and our frailties. And our children are not perfect. <laughs> and our husbands are not yeah. perfect. And our spouses are, there are real problems that we all live with. Yeah. And so the more we can be real and honest and authentic about that, the more we'll help ourselves and the other and the people around us. So we can put our messy living rooms on display as a public service. Exactly. <laughs> to say, this is my house is a mess and that is okay. I remember when all my kids were little and I have seven kids and they're all pretty close together. I felt like I needed to represent big families well and my kids needed to be perfectly dressed, hair fixed, everything buttoned up. You know, I didn't want anyone looking at me and thinking, oh, that woman has no idea what she's doing. But that was... That was a lot of pressure to carry. And I don't know what the breaking point was, but I do remember a distinct change in my thoughts where I said, you know what? 
I'm going to let him wear whatever he wants to school. And if he does his hair yep. <laughs> or not, I don't care because some poor mom is killing herself to try to make the gap cover child or whatever. But it's not realistic. It's not sustainable. And it's actually can be really dangerous and toxic. And Absolutely. It's a real contributor to anxiety and to, in many cases, depression. I'll tell you the story that I wrote about in my book. We were helping one of our children who was struggling mightily with anxiety. And I took her to an art therapy program. I write this story in the book and talk about this young, fresh-faced art therapist who showed up to run the class. And I thought, oh, what is this? Does she really know what she's doing and all this? And Mm -hmm. she rolled a stack of of boxes in, shoe boxes. And then she rolled another stack of magazines in and some scissors and tape. And me and my child, our assignment was to create an authenticity box, an authenticity box. On the outside, we were supposed to cut and tape pictures of who we are and how we present ourselves to other people, how we want other people to view us on the outside, right? This was our image. Mm -hmm. And then on the inside, we were supposed to tape pictures that depict who we really are. When nobody's watching behind closed doors, you know, when it's just us. And so we got to work on this authenticity box. And after about an hour of cutting and taping and talking, it was pretty clear uh, what the lesson was. And the art therapist wrote it on the board in big block letters. Here it is. The more alike the outside and the inside of your box, the healthier your mental state. That makes so much sense. So to me, that is, I mean, this box, we keep it in the family room now. It's like a visual reminder of everything that's wrong with perfectionism, with the facade of perfectionism. And I have replicated this box project with youth groups and book groups and women's groups, even a a group I spoke to at the Harvard Business School. And I thought, oh, I'm going to take my little arts and crafts project in there and they're (laughs) going to lead me right to the Mm -hmm. door, right? (laughs) They loved it because it's such a tangible, everyone has this, right? To some degree, everyone struggles with this. And the more that we can sort of be real on the inside, what's on the inside is also on the outside, the better our mental health. That feels like a really great exercise to do with children too, who might have a hard time putting into words how they're feeling. Art therapy. Oh my goodness. I love that. Jane, we often get questions in our Mom Force Facebook group, Moms Seeking Answers. And what I love about this group is as a collective, we're there supporting, sharing experiences. And I've really appreciated how vulnerable the women in that group have become. But this is a question that I was hoping that you could give us some answers on or shed some light on. It's from Elise. And she says, does anybody have any advice on how to handle interacting with loved ones with depression or with other mental illness? I'm not sure what to say when people confide in me about how they are feeling. So if someone does open up and you have no context or experience with this, what advice would you give to this person? Listen, just listen. I think there are a lot of times where we feel like I don't have any experience. I'm not trained. How can I help? What can I do? I'm not really qualified. And I think the best thing that someone can do for another person who is struggling is to sit with them and listen to them and hold their hand and say, I may not understand what you're going through, but I want to understand you. And I want to understand what you're feeling in this moment. What can I do for you? 
And sometimes you won't have an answer. But more often than not, you can make a huge difference just by being there. Just your very presence can change the course of someone's life. Wow. As you were saying that, I imagine myself listening to a friend who is opening up and how I think I could be that that listening ear. But then I had this thought of one of my kids coming to me and having a hard time and not having the words to share what was going on in their heart and in their head and me being busy and frustrated and be like, stop, no, no crying. Just buck up. Just do your thing. And I, I think I did that a lot as I have been raising my kids. And I'm realizing that that probably wasn't the healthiest thing. That Sometimes kids are maybe just tired, hungry, whatever they need, right. they need taken care of. But sometimes there might be something more there. And I want to be a better listener as a mother and yeah. open to them possibly sharing something that is really critically important in their mental health. You know, one thing I've really learned, we've had a, a child that has had a really hard time with issues of anxiety. And so my own journey, I understand her, you know, better than anyone, because I see a lot of myself in her. But there's one thing that I've learned over the course of a lot of therapy and a lot of trying to help this child. And that word is validation. If you can validate, you may not be able to understand, but if you can validate I understand this must be so hard. I understand you must be feeling tremendous fill-in-the-blank pain, anger, frustration, um, whatever it may be. If you can validate another person's concerns so that they feel understood, that's really the trick. And that's one thing that's really worked for us. For many years, I, I didn't do it right either, Vanessa. I mean, I hear you. It's so hard. <laughs> Mothering is the hardest thing we'll ever do. Yep. But now that I've sort of been down this road and I have teenagers and I've been through a lot of therapeutic training <laughs> and, and interviewed so many people for my book, so many moms who've done the same thing, been through the same thing. Validation is really a key. It's really an important tool for us as, as mothers. Such great reminders. First of all, be open about the range of experiences that we are going through, sharing the good and the bad, breaking that perfect veneer and being vulnerable about who we really are and what we're really feeling. And then be a listener and validate, especially with our children, as they are experiencing the full range of emotions. We all want kids that are happy all the time. <laughs> we want to feel happy all the time, but that's not reality. And that's not healthy. I kind of feel like if you're feeling nothing but happy, maybe that's an indicator that something's not quite right. Exactly. Life was not meant to be that way. We don't grow if all we have is a bed of roses. And, and there are thorns there too. And the thorns teach us lessons that are important for us to learn, right? It's part of the tapestry of life. It's part of the good and the bad and the hard and the easy and the soft. It's just part of what we're meant to do here as human beings. And that is to grow and that is to change, and that is to be better every day. I wrote this on a sticky note, and I put it in my kid's bathroom, and I put it in my own bathroom too. Be kinder to yourself. Take care of yourself and love yourself. Wow. I think we have to be kinder to ourselves, to other people. We have to take care of ourselves, and we have to take care of other people. And we have to love each other, and we have to love ourselves. Well, there's a mic drop right there. That is the perfect way to end. Jane, thank you so much for leading the way 
for helping us learn how to destigmatize conversations around mental illness because I can testify as we've helped family members and loved ones as they've worked through some of their struggles with mental illness that you are stronger on the other side. Everyone is stronger. That's that's the wonderful like law of grit, right? Right. You you get stronger by doing hard things and I love the optimism in that. And don't give up, really. Don't give up. Yes, never give up. Jane, where can people find more about you and the work that you're doing? Uh, my book is on Amazon and easily accessible there. I do a lot of speeches and events, and I have a website that you can reach me through that or on social media. And I, I just really appreciate this opportunity, Vanessa, for you who's doing so much good um, in the world and with this podcast and just being you. I, I appreciate the opportunity to, to spend a few minutes talking about this and shining a light uh, for those people who feel like they're really very much in the dark. Well, I've learned so much from you and I'm excited to share that with the world. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. Holy oh, smokes. <laughs> I needed to hear all of that. What about all that talk about perfectionism? I mean, come on, who doesn't struggle with wanting to put the perfect face forward? Okay, so I actually did a little test last year, and it was after I had a baby. I was feeling exhausted and not 100%. And when people would say, how are you? Instead of saying, I'm good, I would say, I'm okay. I'm just regular. And it was so liberating. People would be like, really? Okay. All right, good. I'm glad to know that you're okay and regular because it felt real. Because it feels like you're supposed to say, oh, we're good. It's so wonderful. Everything's great. Yes. great. But, but I've, I've fallen back into the, my baby's older. My my life is getting back together. So I have started saying, oh, everything's good. But it's not always good. And I feel like I need to be more authentic. And So when company comes over to your house, are you going to swipe all that stuff <laughs> on the kitchen counter into I'm your junk drawer? I'm going to try to at least put the dishes in the sink. <laughs> okay. okay. But I won't just run around like a mad woman. And, it's a little liberating. Yes. Truly. To be okay with it. All right. What about you, Erica? What's your takeaway? Well, I I love the part about the authenticity box. The yes. shoe boxes. We have shoe boxes all over the house because with But do you have kids, magazines? Who has magazines growing... anymore? No, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> you can print it off the Yes, there you print. go. The interwebs. Yeah. I've got my, my little T. I think that would be an exercise that would really benefit him because he is very aware of how he's perceived and how he would like to be perceived. So I think that practice would be eye-opening for him and for me. I think it'd be good for everyone. Think about Josie. Does anybody That's hear true. much from her? If, uh, if we could at least see some visual <laughs> cute she's girl. She's out and about and shooting hoops and hanging out with friends. And yeah. yeah. I mean, it, I would be curious to see what all of my kids did. I don't yeah. think I'd be able to get my teenage boys to do it, but I would really be curious to see what they would put on hey, the box. Hey, you know what? You should get the box and you should do what everybody sees out of them and then nudge them to see if they can put what they feel like inside. Oh, that's kind of a good so idea. So you put the outside one because you know how everybody perceives perceives them and how them. you, yeah, and what they really want to be perceived as, right? Yeah. Well, that's a thought. That's an idea. Like that's a good you could push them, over the, right. push them over the edge <laughs> to actually do it. All right, V, what about you? I just have this tendency to tell my kids to just buck up. Come on. You got this. You know, you're you're fine. Stop crying. Let's just keep going. That's how we grew up. Yeah. I know. That's how we grew and, up. And I, I feel like I turned out okay. I do that too. But- I think what I'm doing when I respond like that is I'm not validating maybe something that needs to be addressed or at least acknowledged that that could yeah. turn into a bigger problem. Yeah. Be able to say in this moment, I know you're really disappointed. I get it. 
that makes a lot of sense. You know what, let's sleep on it and let's see how we feel in the morning. Because if you're constantly stuffing those feelings down, or as a mom, you know, saying, you have to feel that way, don't feel that way, could end up with some hard things down the road. Yeah. So, yeah, a lot good. to think about. All right, ladies, thanks for being here. Thank you. Thank you for joining the Mom Force. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. And look in the show notes for a special chapbooks discount code. See you next week.